0: All right, well, we are on the second part of a series where we are discussing faith. And last week we talked about um, what I think is really central to the idea of faith uh, is that as Christians... What we experience or what we talk about a lot of times and when it relates to faith is faith is essentially the answer to a question that we don't have the answer to. Someone says, you know, well, what do you think about this or what do you think about that or what in the Bible does it say, you know, this and this part and then the other part it says this and they just seem to contradict each other and so what about that and, you know, the whole thing, I mean, the the, the earth getting flooded and the animals two by two and the sea parted and then, a, you know, a... a big fish, a.k.a. a whale, you know, swallowed a guy, and is that even possible, and Christians, you know, just kind of re- respond back, and then there's a guy who, you know, who at one point was like, you know, said some crazy things, then he died and was put in a cave, and then he said he came back, life. I mean, come on, have you ever thought about this, and they would just simply say, you know, you gotta have, yeah, they were like George Michael and Limb Biscuit put together, you know, you just, anyway, um, it was just simply kind of a response to a question that we don't have the answer to. And the reality is, is that for faith, and when it comes to faith, there are a lot of wonderful things. And as it comes to you, perhaps if you're wrestling with the, with the idea of faith, with, if you're wrestling with the idea of Jesus, um, the Bible, Christianity, perhaps God himself... Um, The reality is that faith is a jump, faith is a leap, faith is a step into that which you cannot see because it is in the future. But that step of faith, I don't think is as crazy as perhaps it's often made to be thought of or believed about. And because we all do this every day, and we don't necessarily describe it in these terms, but we all use inductive as opposed to deductive reasoning. In other words, no one walked in this morning and thought, I don't know if I trust this chair. So I'm going to unhook it from the chair next to me, and I'm going to flip it upside down. I'm going to get my little cell phone flashlight out and a screwdriver, and I'm going to inspect every single screw to make sure that this chair can handle the weight of my body, because we all make assumptions about the future and concrete decisions about the future based on our level of information and our previous experience, and that is absolutely common. And it's not that faith is not a step, perhaps, it's just not as big of a step as you thought it is or was. And for many of us, if you were to tell your story, it would be that there was this kind of intellectual pursuit and intellectual questioning, and for at times an intellectual disagreement with, and you know, you're know, you here this morning, and the entire reason that you're here isn't because you agree and you're just so open. You have all the reasons that I'm wrong. In fact, you already have five reasons that I'm wrong, and perhaps you're right. But what happens in almost every single person's story who comes as an adult to a point or a starting point in faith is this. As they become more okay with, as they become more comfortable with the intellectual awareness and belief of God and Jesus and Christianity, they are met with a personal experience of God. That they come to an awareness, they come to a decision, they have a personal awareness of God. That the intellectual is met with the personalness of a Lord and Savior named Jesus and as we're going in that direction, I want to continue on in the thought because there's a second myth or a second thing that I think we miss as Christians as it relates to faith. Here's the other side of faith as we as Christians oftentimes experience it. Faith essentially becomes a belief or an intellectual assent or sometimes a personal assent to an agreement that Jesus is in fact a savior, that God is in fact a deity. But when you look at the scripture, faith was an action faith was something that you did not simply something that you thought you thought it and your thought required action but here's what i've experienced just as it relates to faith and as it comes to christians we put faith in and we take action in things that we agree with or believe to be Things that are comfortable for us, for us oftentimes. Things that are easy for us oftentimes. We put faith, we believe in things that make sense to us, that are easy for us, and that are comfortable for us. But when it comes to things that are uncomfortable, when it comes to things that are uneasy, when it comes to things that don't really make sense, we have a really difficult time with faith. With Which means we have a difficult time with faith. Because anybody would do what makes sense to them. Anybody is going to do what's easy to them. That's not Christian. That's not specific to Jesus. But it's difficult when it's difficult, which as obvious and intuitive as that is, is in itself the embodiment of faith. Now let me give you some examples of what I mean by by that when I say it. One of the ways that um, we could take steps of faith but we don't is that when, you know, it it comes to serving and loving other people, right? I mean, I'll serve you as long as you're someone who is servable. I'll love you as long as you're someone who is lovable. You know, I'll I'll serve my life and I'll serve my family as long as my family is not being too needy and my my whole family is being pretty logical and reasonable, which works well with a two-year-old, by the way. They're just super reasonable individuals. They wake up and, Dad, I want a lollipop. It's like, it's six. What are you talking about? popcorn. It's like, stop. So, you know, I will serve my family. I love my family as long as my family is reasonable. I will, I will give as long as there's margin. I will give as long as I have enough and there's margin. Um, this is another one that I think that we do all the time. Um, I'll share my faith when someone really, really, uh, really, 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 really wants to know about faith, and so I'm just going to be a nice person. This is kind of the this is the Christian perspective of how evangelism works. You know, I'm just going to be a super nice person. I'm going to smile so much that like my cheeks hurt. You know, and I'm just going to be so nice, and they're going to be like, "Oh my gosh, why are you so nice?" And you're just going to like shyly say, "You know, I believe in Jesus," and they're going to be like, "Oh my gosh." I've been wondering, how do I have an experience with Jesus? I've been seeking salvation and I believe that He is the Son of God. Can you help me to pray a prayer that will substantiate and validate my current belief? And you're like, oh, I was hoping you would ask that, you know? Here, let me pray with you. But when it comes to sharing our faith, it's uncomfortable. There may be implications. And I'm not talking the way you're forced, you know, but when you're just genuinely invested in people, and having conversation, when the outcome is a little bit unpredictable, when there's a little bit of vulnerability that's involved, and we're not sure how the whole thing's going to work out, we oftentimes do not take steps forward. And the problem is, that is the entire idea of faith. Now, what we're going to read today is a group of people who, in the early church, were experiencing a similar dynamic to a degree that we almost can't imagine. This letter of Hebrews was written somewhere between 64 and 69 AD. This was when the persecution of the church and of Jews and Christians were kind of like a little spinoff of Judaism this is when it was just ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. Um, in 70 A.D., for those of you guys who are familiar with kind of the religious timeline, that was when the, the whole temple was destroyed. So it was really, really getting bad at this point. And it was getting to the point where the Christians would have a tendency to say, hey, the future is unpredictable, We're not sure how this whole thing's going to go. And there was a tendency inside of the church to shrink back from your faith because at that point in time, it wasn't a choice that I can believe and also choose to have action. Simply believing made you vulnerable to persecution. Simply believing meant that you were liable and you could potentially have recourse for something that you agree with. In other words, it required action action. It required by nature a sense of, uns, uh, of, of unsureness about the future. And so Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, sorry, for those of you, there's a little debate about that. That's why I correct myself on that, because wherever the side of the fence you are, it really doesn't matter. Um, but the writer of Hebrews, as he's writing this, is writing in a way to address Christians who have unsureness, but have a belief uncertainty, but have a belief. And he goes through and he gives a list of people from the Old Testament who believed. And, this is more important, why? Because anybody can look at someone else who did something great and think, man, that's great for them. But he sifts through and says, and this is what they thought. This unlocks the idea of how you and I as people in 2018 can unlock the idea of how we live into our faith. How we take steps forward when things are very uncertain. When we feel vulnerable and we don't know the future. And there's potential negative consequences and implications to us acting on it. Was the exact context that he wrote it to. And in fact, what we're going to find out in a little bit is we actually have some advantages that they didn't have. So if you got your Bible, you can open up to the book of Hebrews. We're going to start in chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah. Now, some of you guys are familiar with the story of Noah. He says, by faith, Noah. Let me tell you a little bit about what happened with Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, you're not familiar with Noah, basically what happened is one day God came and God said you know, we've got to show up. He just spoke to Noah and said Noah, um, I am going to send a flood on the entire earth. I'm going to drown the whole world. I want you to build an ark and you're going to have animals that come and inhabit the ark and um, you're going to float around for a little while and then you're going to dry land and we're going to start this whole thing over with. To which the skeptics of us, you know, we say "Well, is, come on, is that even possible? I mean the animals go two by two on the ark and we all, you know, learn the Sunday school song the animals went two by two and does that mean like two squirrels went in and two like different, you know white-tailed squirrels and albino squirrels? I mean, what was the different, like, types of squirrels that were on there? Could it even fit that much? It's so funny, because we're skeptical, but skeptical in the wrong direction. You ever experienced that? Like, okay, we're worrying about animals. God annihilated the earth, okay? So let's at least be, like, educatedly skeptical. So anyways, I digress. Um, So he says, this is what I'm going to do, and I want you to build an ark. Now, when Noah was building this ark, this wasn't like building an ark right by the sea. Noah like basically starts to construct in his backyard this gigantic ark. And it wasn't that Noah had all of the things of modern you know, uh, equipment. He didn't have you know, uh, uh, any kind of like a circular saw, or uh, he didn't have a drill. He didn't have a planer. You know, Noah was just Noah, and he was sitting there like with his bare hands. We don't know if he was chiseling the whole thing or what happened. But Noah's sitting there, and, and what's funny about this is we think, okay, so he built this like ship, like Noah didn't just have a tree fall down in his backyard and carve a canoe out of it. He made a stinking ark. You know how long it took this dude to make an ark? You know how ridiculous he looked when people are like, Noah, you're building a gigantic ship. This would be like somebody in Atlanta building a ship with no way to get it to the ocean. They're like, what are you doing? And It's like, I'm building a ship. Why? Because God's going to kill you. That's the second part of the conversation that's a little bit difficult. Okay, cool, Noah. And now Noah looked ridiculous. Now, Wherever you fall on the reality of that story, here is what is so extraordinary about what the text says behind Noah's why, which informs, at the beginning of this whole thing, basically nutshells and gives the summary for every single person of God who has taken extraordinary steps of faith. It says, so Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear. In other words, Noah had such a direct fear and understanding of God that no matter what the current was, no matter what the backlash was, he knew that there was a God in heaven that deserved much more fear than anything that anybody could say. In fact, the reason Noah built an ark isn't just because Noah was dumb. He didn't just have faith about faith that perhaps this could happen. Noah had a belief about God and that belief about God drove his action. You see, let me just give you the the synopsis of this entire sermon. The reason for you and I When we face times of uncertainty, when we face times of certain difficulty, that God has called us to act in ways that don't even make sense to us, you want to know why we hesitate? Essentially, it's because we don't trust God enough. We don't have a reverent fear, for, and we don't think about it in those terms, because we see everything that's right here, we see everything that's right now, we see the problems, we see the mishaps, we see the things, we have self-doubt, did I really hear that, did I really think that, is that really what I should do? He said, no, no, Noah, as ridiculous as this was, was, had such a fear of God, such a reverence, that wasn't like he was terrified, he had such a reverence for God, that he decided he was going to build this gigantic ship. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that, by the way, comes by faith. Goes into the next person. He says, by faith, Abraham. This is, by the way, a pretty cool outline as it goes through the entire chapter of the chronology of, of some of the Old Testament. that gets a little bit unsure to us. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, here's what's interesting about Abraham, if you're not familiar with this story. Abraham's a guy who was pretty set up. He had, you know, some family, and he had some livestock, and he had some land, and he had a house, and he had all this stuff. Had a wife at the time, would continue to have a wife, you know, but that was probably debatable at some points in time. As Noah would go, or not Noah, Abraham would go out, and God said, Abraham, I am going to give you an inheritance. And your inheritance, you're going you're gonna to inherit a land. That is so vast, you're going to inherit a land that you won't even believe is going to be flowing with milk and honey. And Abraham, I want you to know that through your descendants, I am going to create a family that's going to become a nation that is going to outnumber the stars and the sky. And by the way, through you and through your lineage, I am going to birth through your seed a Messiah, the Savior, is going to come. But first, Abraham, here's what I want you to do you got a lot of stuff that's comfortable. you got a lot of stuff that's easy. That makes sense. And so I want you to get your wife, and in fact, I want you to get some of your family, and I want you to just leave. And I want you to go, and you don't know where you're going. And here's what would continue to happen, in fact, in verse 9. It says, By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Now, As in a foreign land, what the, the actual Hebrew word for that means is as a resident alien. In other words, as Abraham would go into this land, Abraham, it was as if Abraham was a total stranger in this land. He didn't look like everybody. He didn't talk like everybody. He didn't act like everybody. He was in the promised land of God but felt totally out of place. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, we read the Bible like it's in a vacuum, but I want any, any, especially guy if you're married in here, to say, hey, babe, I love you. I was at church this morning, and God spoke to me. And he spoke to me that, that we're supposed to go live in a land. Um, well, we're kind of supposed to go live in a land. We want to leave our house, and we're going to go um, live in a tent for the rest of our life, okay? But here's the good news. It'll be with our in-laws, you know? Now, we question whether we have to go to Thanksgiving with our in-laws. We, You know, it's like Christmas, like, oh, do I got to? How much time? Now, of course, not my in-laws. My in-laws are the most wonderful in-laws, especially if they're listening online. You know, know. but he's saying, you know, I want you to imagine him saying, you know, somebody saying this to you and saying, hey, and we're going to go and we're going to live in a land intense for the rest of our life. Aren't you excited? Now, I don't know about your wife. My wife would be like, yes, I love you. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. No, you'd be like, wait, you, you, you're talking about with our crazy, you're talking about with Isaac and, and Jacob? Like, I don't know if you know about Isaac and Jacob, but like Jacob's name by like definition is like the swindler, the deceiver. So we're going to go live in a tent with the deceiver our whole life. Cool, that's like living with Satan on purpose, you know. Why in the world will we do that? And here's what it says next. By faith he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Now you can't miss this. They didn't simply do this because they had nothing better to do. They didn't simply do this because the future was so sure. They didn't simply do this because it was so comfortable. The reason men and women of faith took extraordinary measures of faith is because they realized this current condition this current life is not my home that there is an eternity that I will be with God. There is a city that will be heaven that I will dwell in with God and that makes so much bigger of an impact. That is so much longer, that has so much more gravity that that yes, I might be uncomfortable in the temporal, but I will absolutely be with God in the eternal. And it is not that in my obedience now I earn my way to the eternal, but I believe so much in God that I live for the eternal. He says, man, he looked forward to the city. He looked forward. When we talk about like God, and we talk about heaven, sometimes it's like this wishes, hopes, and dreams. He says, no, no, no. He had that as present in the, in, in, the, in the front of the idea, in the front of his mind, that I am not of this earth, that my residency is somewhere else. And so I look forward to the city that's built and designed. And inhabited, where I will dwell with, God himself. Continues on. Verse 11, which I love it talks about Sarah's perspective, because at this point, you know, I don't know how you're internalizing this text, but I'm thinking like, man, that might be awesome that that's my mindset, but like, what about my wife? You know, like I'm just going to say, hey, sweets, I love you, but, you know, I'm thinking that God's calling us, I don't know where that would, the equivalent would be like, God's calling us to go live in Perry, you know, shouts out to all the Perry folk in here, okay, so like God, you know, called me to go live in what color and we're going to go live, in, and we're going to go live in a tent, and it's like, how long are we going to live in a tent for, you know, it's not like a, you know, gosh, am I called to live in Jacksonville or Orlando or, you know, it's like, no, nah, I'm going to live in nowhere where no one is, and we're going to go live in a tent, not till we figure it out, but like forever, and by the way, crazy Uncle Eddie's going to live in the tent with us, You cool, you in, Wonderful! I thought you would be. You know, so this is Sarah's perspective. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive in when she was pa- even when she was past the age. Now, this is this is important because because for their culture, um, much of a, woman, a woman's value was in in direct alignment with her ability to conceive and give children. To this point, Sarah was getting older. She didn't have the ability to have children up to this point, though God had promised her that she was going to have children. That by faith Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age, which is a nice way to put it, she was a little bit older. Since, this is the why, she considered him faithful who had promised. In other words, God, this doesn't make sense. I understand this doesn't make sense. God, we're going to a strange land and we're living with crazy Uncle Eddie in this tent and I don't know how that's going to work out. But, God, you're faithful. And so I believe Not in the way that this all makes sense to me. Not in the, I can put two and two and get four out of this equation. But God, you have promised this. And I have determined that, God, you are faithful. And if, God, I have determined you are faithful, then I have to live in faith because my faith is just simply an embodiment of my decision that God is faithful, that God is eternal, that I will spend, that what's temporary does not ultimately matter. It is a temporal thing compared to the eternal. And, God, you are faithful. And so if you have called me to this, I will live in to that. Continues. Faith, Sarah lived in that, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, in him as good as dead. Now that's how you know when you're old. When the Bible's like that, dude is as good as dead. <laughs> We're born descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens, and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. That these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers in exile on the earth. I I can't tell you how important that is. See I man, even for them, this was something that God told to them that they believed, but they never saw the fulfillment of it. Abraham died, and when he died, he had not seen the fulfillment of the promised land. It wouldn't be till you know, generations later that his son would give birth to more sons, and his sons would give an inhabited land, and his sons would become enslaved, and that enslavement, they would be eventually set free, free through some crazy circumstances. They would wander through the desert for years and years and years, and eventually when that generation died off, the next generation would enter into the promised land. That generation would go through a period of judges, which would give way to a period of kings which would give way finally to David who through the lineage of David through the lineage of Abraham would finally generations after that give birth to a son named Jesus and they only saw that in the distant future but the, but the absolute disproportionate advantage that we have is that we live in hindsight and in the wake of the cross of the Messiah of Jesus as Christians now if you're wrestling with Christianity that's something that you need to wrestle with but as Christians We live in the wake of the assuredness of our faith because of the death and the resurrection of our Savior. We don't await a promise. We live in the aftermath of the fulfillment of that promise, and we await future glory, though it's already here. They just believed God without ever actually seeing. We can live in the advantage that we can make decisions to follow God, to live for God because of what we have seen. But let me tell you, the biggest hindrance is one, we don't oftentimes trust God to be faithful. We don't trust God and have a reverence for God. And because of that, we look at temporal and not eternal. Let me ask you this, Christians. Are you more concerned with what's right here in what's right now, or what's eternal? Is your focus that, man, whatever God calls me to do, wherever he calls me to go, or is it? There's so many things going on. I'm worried. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how that relationship's going to work out, how this job's going to work out, how this major's going to work out. Here, 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 now, 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 now. Christian, come on. Is this your focus? Because these people, these men and women of faith, had the focus that this, I am a resident alien. This is not my eternal home. He continues on at this point talking about this idea. They acknowledged, verse 13, that they were strangers in exile on the earth. For people who speak Thus make it clear that they, have seeking, that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, and this is, this is, this is wonderful, this humanizes this entire experience. He says, hey, there was an opportunity for them to turn back. Now, to this audience, this was huge. This was a huge way to humanize what they had experienced that the, that the forefathers had in faith. Because as Christians who lived in, you know, the, the mid to late 60s A.D., they were experiencing persecution and there was a sense that they could draw back from their faith. And these say, no, 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 don't think that Abraham didn't have that option too. We view what happens in the Bible again in a vacuum, like they just, they stepped out in faith and they never had a thought. Let me tell you, there had to be at least some point in the conversations between Abraham and Sarah, something where they said, man, crazy Uncle Eddie is still living in this tent with us and I'm about ready to bolt and go back home. But he's saying, no, no their focus... They could have gone back. Their focus was on what's eternal, not what's temporal. Their focus was on the absolute steadfastness, the faithfulness of God. And so the temporal didn't matter because their focus was the eternal. Continues. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. said, so in light of that, they look for a better country. Not like, oh, the state of our country right now. They looked forward to something that could supersede anything that we have ever experienced. I love the song that we sang right before this. And the writer says, you know, basically when life is erupting, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul. And I love the end of it. When he simply states, in Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Lord, haste the day when my face shall be silent, and the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll. The trumps will resound, and the Lord shall descend. And this is, when we think about that sentence, we're like, whoa, that's weird. That's no. They thought about it. They thought, I cannot wait to see God, that I'm going through what I'm going through right now. But it is because I am focused on the eternal. And we love to, by the way, believe the positive promises of God, but not read the entire Bible. We love to think Romans 8, 28, for God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, but we don't want to go to verse 29 when it says that so that we can, in essence, become more like Jesus, that we would be made into the likeness of Christ. In other words, God works for my good so that I can be more like Jesus, who, by the way, was crucified on the cross. God's saying, man, I want you to be more like him, not in like the self harming, sadistic way, but in this reality, that Jesus did not live on planet earth with the entire thought that I'm just going to live for here now. He knew he was headed to the cross. He knew the cross waited. But here's what he also knew. That this temporal suffering does not compare to the eternal glory. And I have such love for the people around me that I'm going to go to the cross God, fully God, fully man, in a body, and he would see our sinfulness die on the cross because God in his holiness cannot have unholiness in his presence. And God would send his son to die for us so that we could be made right with him. Philippians would say that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Not because he was looking forward to it, but because his eyes weren't on it for the joy set before him, for the salvation, for the eternity with God, for the salvation of the world, he endured the cross. And we as Christians have the opportunity oftentimes to step out in faith, to do what God has called us to do. But when we are unsure, we do not want to endure because we aren't sure of the faithfulness of God and our minds are on the temporal, not the eternal. I love how he it doesn't really wrap it up. This is how we're going to end it in verse 17 as he takes this next little small step of Abraham. And he says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, one of the act of offering up his only son. Let me tell you why that's important. Because Abraham had such a focus on God, such a belief in God, such a belief on the eternal of God, that he believed so much in the promises of God. That one day God said, Abraham, you finally had a son, the son that, you know, you're old as dirt and, you know, you might as well not be alive, but here you are. And so you have a son, his name's Isaac, and here's what I want you to do with Isaac. I want you to take him and I want you to kill him which would be a, a weird experience because you've got a dad who's really old and the son who's not as old, and the son asks the dad, Dad, where are we going to get the offering from? And he's like, I guess God's going to provide it, you know. And then he starts tying the son, and this, and, this, and this is crazy. That's why you should read the Bible. It's It's wild. He gets his knife out and is at the point where he has his knife drawn, raised up, about to kill his only son. To which we would say, "Why in the world would God call something?" That's just like that's that's not like okay, that's reasonable faith. That's kind of like taking a step in faith. That's just outrageous. Could never happen. Could never have it. I mean, what kind of a God would ask a person to kill their son? And the crazy thing is, for us, though God said to Abraham, "Stop." We live in the wake of a God who did not stop when it came to his son. We live in the wake. We live in the shadow of a God who would never call us to sacrifice more than he would be willing to sacrifice himself. To Abraham... Who he would say, no, I would not call you to give and to kill your own son. Here's this ram that's stuck in the bushes. Why don't you go? Why don't you sacrifice it instead? He would get his own son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh and have him brutally murdered. Not just because why not, but for the salvation of the world. And we live with the assurance of that. We live with writers who have documented it. We live with Matthew who's documented it, Mark who's documented it, Luke who's documented it, John who's documented it, Paul who's documented it, Peter who had documented it. We live with James who had documented it. We we live with the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, you know, who had documented it. I mean, we just live with so many people. And then there's extra biblical that, that have documented this Jewish carpenter who died on the cross who was, in fact, God himself. And we live... At an advantage that though we can't see that, we live in the wake of the reality. Let me just ask you this again. As Christians, is this your focus? That I live in light of the eternal because I am convinced of the faithfulness of God, of the glory of God. That I have, like Noah had, I have such a reverence for God that when God asks me to, I will obey. I live in such a way that I am convinced like Sarah that he who is faithful, I will do whatever for because if God is faithful, nothing else matters. Do we live like Abraham who saw this land and said, you know what, this land, this might be difficult, this might be, you know... uh, unsure and I don't know how it's going to work out and we're not just going to live in a tent for a while. We're going to live in a tent for perpetuity or in perpetuity. We forever are going to live there. But he had his eyes on the eternal, not the temporal. And we have Jesus to substantiate that. Let me tell you. I think if you're here and you're not a Christian you're trying to invade, or you're trying to understand this whole thing and you're wrestling with it and grappling with it, let me, let me tell you something that perhaps you've experienced. Perhaps the reason that you're not a Christian is because the only time that you've seen a Christian exercise faith is when faith made sense to them. Perhaps the only time that you've experienced faith is when faith was simply an answer to a question they didn't have the answer to. And they just did what made sense to them, which is what makes sense to you, which why wouldn't anybody do what makes sense to them anyways? And there was nothing special, there was nothing significant, they just smiled a lot. And that is such a disservice to the men and women. Of extraordinary faith, who never even saw the fulfillment of the promise. And we have the distinct advantage to live as Christians in the wake, in the shadow of the cross. So, let me give you a couple practical things of just how this might make sense. Perhaps for you, it is to talk more about your faith might be implications, might be consequences. I'm not talking about a way that you shove it down people's throat. I'm so not for that. But a way that you genuinely create relationships, talk about stuff, talk about God, ask questions. Perhaps you know that God's called you to do something that doesn't really make sense to you, doesn't really make sense to the people around you, but you know definitively that God has placed that call on your life and on your heart. And you know that God has called you to step out in faith. I think there's places in faith that we experience every day that we don't use it. You're busy and you don't think you have time to spend with God every day. To spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Perhaps you don't have time to join in community with other people. Perhaps you don't have time to serve. Perhaps you do. Perhaps your focus is on what's right here and what's screaming in your face as opposed to what's eternal. I think one of the greatest opportunities that we have to exercise faith, let me just tell this, as someone who is very, very part-time as a, uh, as a pastor, who gets, I have a job that is totally outside of this, and many of you know the meat company and some crazy things that have happened recently. Let me just tell you, I think one of the greatest opportunities that we have as Christians that we do not take is to give. The average Christian gives about a half a percent more than the person who doesn't believe in Jesus why because everything's focused on right here right now I got bills I got needs I got things and I don't make that much so I'll have to on that's so ridiculous that was never the point anyways it was us that freely and saw man i have the opportunity To realize that what I get, that what I receive is not totally for my consumption, but I can give it back to the furtherance of the kingdom of God. That I get to participate in God's redemptive work. And that I actually get to give that because God, especially in America, has so richly blessed me. If you ever have and own a car, you are better off than 92% of the entire world. They would look at you and be jealous. We have opportunities to act in faith every day when it doesn't make a ton of sense, when when everything doesn't add up. But the reason they acted in faith wasn't just because they were born with some intrinsic nature of faith. They were convinced of the glory and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And their belief in God drove a willingness to do nothing on planet Earth for the temporal They'd fall sometimes, sure. They'd make mistakes sometimes. But their life was bent for the eternal. And if you're a Christian, let me tell you what my prayer is. That we would live our lives. That God would create such a dynamic community of faith that it would just totally... Let me tell you one of my my dreams for our church. I hope and I pray that 10 years from now, our city thinks about, when when everybody thinks about church, they think about church in in a particular way. I hope people think differently about church because of this church, and not because there's something extraordinary about us, but because of the faith of the men and the women, of individuals who acted for the eternal, not the temporal, Temporal fundamentally changes the way people view Christianity, changes the way they view church, and perhaps makes them more open to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So I hope and I pray that God turns us into that group of people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, would you help us to have belief, faith in you, in your goodness, in your greatness, in your glory? Would you help us to have a reverence, a fear A deep abiding of the glory of you, our Savior. And as we determine, as we have just convinced that, God, you gave your Son to us on planet Earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that you are so extraordinarily faithful, we will do whatever you call us to do, whenever you call us to do it. Whether it makes sense to us, whether it doesn't make sense to us, God, that we will be faithful. Because you are faithful We will give to you because you gave more than you would ever ask any of us to give when you gave your son. So we will gladly give you our entire lives back. As we determine not to live for this life, the temporal, but the eternal, of a God who is loving and faithful. Would you turn us into a community of individuals, who embody that. And as we do, would you just fundamentally change the way the city and the world around us views you and views your church. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.